The word of the Lord from 1 Samuel 3. Now the boy Samuel was ministering to the Lord in the presence of Eli. And the word of the Lord was rare in those days. There was no frequent vision. At that time, Eli, whose eyesight had begun to grow dim so that he could not see, was lying down in his own place. The lamp of God had not yet gone out, And Samuel was lying down in the temple of the Lord, where the ark of God was. Then the Lord called Samuel, and he said, Here I am, and ran to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. But he said, I did not call, lie down again. So he went and lay down. And the Lord called again, Samuel. And Samuel arose and went to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. But he said, I did not call, my son. Lie down again. Now Samuel did not yet know the Lord, and the word of the Lord had not yet been revealed to him. And the Lord called Samuel again the third time. And he arose and went to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. Then Eli perceived that the Lord was calling the boy. Therefore Eli said to Samuel, Go, lie down, and if he calls you, you shall say, Speak, Lord, for your servant hears. So Samuel went and lay down in his place. And the Lord came and stood, calling as at other times, Samuel, Samuel. And Samuel said, Speak, for your servant hears. Then the Lord said to Samuel, Behold, I am about to do a thing in Israel at which the two ears of everyone who hears it will tingle. On that day, I will fulfill against Eli all that I have spoken concerning his house from beginning to end. And I declare to him that I am about to punish his house forever for the iniquity that he knew because his sons were blaspheming God and he did not restrain them. Therefore, I swear to the house of Eli that the iniquity of Eli's house shall not be atoned for by sacrifice or offering forever. Samuel lay until morning. Then he opened the doors of the house of the Lord. And Samuel was afraid to tell the vision to Eli. But Eli called Samuel and said, Samuel, my son. And he said, Here I am. And Eli said, What was it that he told you? Do not hide it from me. May God do so to you and more also if you hide anything from me of all that he told you. So Samuel told him everything and hid nothing from him. And he said, It is the Lord. Let him do what seems good to him. And Samuel grew and the Lord was with him and let none of his words fall to the ground. And all Israel from Dan to Beersheba knew that Samuel was established as a prophet of the Lord. And the Lord appeared again at Shiloh, for the Lord revealed himself to Samuel at Shiloh by the word of the Lord. Please pray with me. Heavenly Father, today, as we've gathered as your people to worship you, God, we pray that you would give us hearts like young Samuel here. That we, like Samuel, would 
as we're in your presence today, say, speak for your servant hears. Lord, that we would be a people that want to receive your word. That we would be a people who, despite all the many other voices that vie for our attention, that we would be a people with hearts that are pliable so that you, Holy Spirit, can cut through all of the noise. You can speak to us and we can hear your word. So God, would you do that? Would you be gracious to your people today? Would you speak a word to us so that we might know you and delight in you and serve you? We ask this now in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Good morning, church. Please go ahead and grab a seat. So today we're covering chapter three, obviously here. We're even gonna look at that first little part of chapter four, verse one briefly, um, but covering a big section of scripture, but we have to do it. You know, this is this whole story is one story here in chapter three. And so we've got to understand the message of this and what's going on here as we get now to first Samuel chapter three. Now, what's interesting is you'll notice right up front in verse one of this chapter that It says at the end of verse one, and the word of the Lord was rare in those days. And then when you get to chapter four, verse one, it says, now the word of Samuel came to all of Israel. And we know, and you'll see this by the end of this sermon, that when it says the word of Samuel came to all of Israel there, it's referring to the prophetic words of Samuel. In other words, the words that God had given Samuel are now making their way out to all of Israel. And so what we see is this section that we're going to talk from today and and learn from today is a section that is framed by the word of the Lord a section that is framed by the word of God. God's word features prominently here in 1 Samuel chapter three. In this chapter, God takes his very word from being rare in Israel to being renowned in Israel. Now that at the end of chapter two, God has already announced the downfall of Eli's house and his priestly line, God is raising up a faithful priest in the tabernacle at Shiloh, this young boy named Samuel. And so Samuel is now rising to his place as the true priest of God at Shiloh during this time. But that's not all. God is doing something even more in the life of this young man named Samuel. In this chapter, we see Samuel elevated beyond the priesthood at Shiloh to become the prophet of the Lord for the entire nation of Israel. Now, in verse 1, we come to the fifth time that we've heard in this book so far a brief statement about this young boy, Samuel, and about his ministry before the Lord. The first time was in chapter 2, verse 11, where we read this, and the boy was ministering to the Lord in the presence of Eli the priest. Samuel at that point was probably three or four years old, ministering to the Lord in the presence of the priest. Then in in, uh, 1 Samuel 2, verse 18, we read this, Samuel was ministering before the Lord, a boy clothed with a linen ephod, meaning the priestly attire. Then in 1 Samuel 2, 21, the third statement about him, it says, and the boy Samuel grew in the presence of the Lord. And then five verses later in 1 Samuel 2.26, we read, Now the boy Samuel continued to grow both in stature and in favor with the Lord and also with man. 
And now for the fifth statement, we come here to chapter three, verse one. Now the boy Samuel was ministering to the Lord in the presence of Eli. Now these statements, these descriptions of this young boy Samuel are depicting a young man who is certainly growing up physically in stature, but but even more than that, we see this young man who is truly growing in his walk with the Lord, growing in a spiritual sense. And chapter three tells the story of the transition in Samuel's life from a godly boy to a man of God. So that when this chapter ends, you have Samuel established as a man of God and as the prophet to the nation of Israel. The first section, verses one through three, can be summarized with the statement that we've already considered briefly, but the word of the Lord is rare in Israel. If you're a note taker, you can just write that down as point number one. The word of the Lord is rare in Israel. The scriptures say this, 1 Samuel 3 verse 1, Now the boy Samuel was ministering to the Lord in the presence of Eli, and the word of the Lord was rare in those days. There was no frequent vision. At that time, Eli, whose eyesight had begun to grow dim so that he could not see, was lying down in his own place. The lamp of God had not yet gone out, and Samuel was lying down in the temple of the Lord where the ark of God was. So Samuel, this young man, his divine calling to be the prophet in Israel happens in the context of him faithfully serving in the first role that God had him in, training as an apprentice in the priesthood under Eli. Right? It says, now the boy Samuel was ministering to the Lord in the presence of Eli. This is a great reminder that God's next assignment comes as we faithfully carry out our current assignment. Samuel here is just doing what God had already called him to do. He's serving as a priest and he's being faithful there. And now God is going to come in chapter three and he's going to give him another assignment, a further assignment, and we can say a greater assignment. And as Christians, we just always need to be mindful of that, that yes, we want to do more for the Lord. We should be eagerly seeking out what that next thing is that God might call us to. But the prerequisite for that next calling is always faithfulness in this moment, in this season, in this place that God has us in. And so we need to faithfully serve the Lord where we're at now. And the Lord often in those moments will give us the next opportunity. Now, the setting is further spelled out in verse one by saying that the word of the Lord was rare in those days. There was no frequent vision. The statement, there was no frequent vision, explains what is meant by the statement, the word of the Lord was rare in those days. It's not that the Pentateuch, the first five books of Moses, had been lost. It's not like they didn't have access to the scriptures. That's not what the author is saying here. In fact, in the Ark of God was a copy of the Ten Commandments. The word of God was accessible at this time, but, what, but what's being said here is that prophetic activity was almost absent at this time in Israel. Likely the only exceptions were like the one that we read about last week in chapter two, where God sent a man of God to pronounce judgment on Eli for his wickedness in Shiloh. Where the word of God is not honored, like among the priesthood at Shiloh, The spirit of God is not active. 
Where the word of God is not honored, the spirit of God is not active. Now, I don't mean by that that the spirit of God is not active at all. But what I do mean is that the spirit of God is quenched and largely inactive wherever the word of God is not honored. The spirit is still active, but his activity in places and at times when the word of God is not being honored is his activity is this. It's to work judgment or it's to start a brand new work quite apart from the people who will not honor God. Just like we see here in 1 Samuel. These priests who were supposed to be God's representatives, leading God's people, were wicked and corrupt. They were not obeying the word of God. They were not honoring God. And what does God do? He brings judgment on them and he raises up a different priest, a faithful priest, somebody who will honor his word and honor him. And so family, if we want the Holy Spirit to do marvelous things in our midst, If we want God to speak clearly and powerfully and transformatively among us, if we want the Holy Spirit to judge non-Christians and convict them of their sins and bring them to faith so that they can be saved, if we want to see things like that, we must be a church family that honors the word of God. Because if we don't honor the word of God, we are not honoring God. And God will not work among us in profound spiritual ways so long as we live in a place of dishonoring God and his word. And so we need to be a people corporately that honor the word of God. That's one of my favorite things about our church family. We are far from perfect and all God's people said, amen. But you know what? We stink and love the Bible. We love God's word in this church. And I love the posture of heart in this church that people gather here hungry to hear and obey the word of God. And by God's grace, may that never change. And that needs to be the posture of all of our hearts as individuals that every day we open up God's word and we say, speak Lord for your servant listens. Every day, Lord, I wanna respond to you. I wanna honor you. I wanna be faithful to you every single day. And where that heart posture exists among a people of God, the spirit of God is active. There's a culture of grace and we see God transform lives. And that's what I'm here for. I hope that's what you're here for as well. Now back to the text here. We've already learned in last chapter that this man, Eli, the chief priest here at this time was very old. And now there's a little bit more information added that Uh, As it often goes, as you get really advanced in age, his eyesight is actually close to failing here. He could hardly even see. And so as the scene develops, we've got old Eli lying down, we're told, in his own place. That's verse 2. While Samuel is lying down in the temple of the Lord where the ark of God was. So Eli's away from, probably in a different room away from where the ark is. Samuel's right up close to where the ark of God is. And we see there this phrase where it says, the lamp of God had not gone out yet. And that's referring to the menorah, the, 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 the candles, the, the lamp rather, that the priests were to maintain all through the night. They would keep it lit all night long. And so likely what the author is saying here is, this is happening at night. Samuel's lying down sleeping. Eli's lying down sleeping. The, the, the candles are still being lit, so to speak. The lamp of God has not gone out. So possibly the setting is early morning, but it's still dark out. It seems though that the expression has some spiritual meaning too, right? 
I don't know about you, but when I read that after the way the author has set the story up, it seems like he's not just saying, hey, it's happening at night. It seems like he's saying something spiritual here. The author already wanted us to know that the word of God was rare in Israel at these, at, or during these times. In other words, there was just a spiritual flicker going on in Israel. And now he adds this expression, the lamp of God had not yet gone out, presumably suggesting that God's light or revelation in Israel, although only flickering at this point, had not been completely extinguished. There's a hint of hope here that the author sets us up with. And this moves us now to the next section, which I've just titled this, The Word of the Lord Comes to Samuel, verses 4 through 14. Now that you and I understand the physical and the spiritual setting of this chapter, the author wants to move us into the main point of the story, which is the calling of young Samuel to be a prophet. Let's pick the story back up in verse 4. Then the Lord called Samuel, And he said, here I am, and ran to Eli and said, here I am, for you called me. But he said, I did not call, lie down again. So he went and lay down again. Now the author tells us a really important piece of information that obviously Samuel didn't know. Namely, that the voice that Samuel hears in the temple that night is the voice of the Lord. But Samuel doesn't know that. Samuel thinks it's the priest Eli calling out to him, and so He gets up and he runs to Eli to see what he needs. And I want you to just notice here Samuel's obedience in the text toward his adopted father. It's quite remarkable, honestly. I mean, here's Samuel, presumably dead asleep in the middle of the night. And he hears Samuel, Samuel, from who he thinks is his sort of adopted spiritual father, this man Eli. And the scripture says that he responds, and it seems immediate, he responds, here I am, so that Samuel will, or so that Eli will know that he's been heard. And then the text says he gets up and he runs over to where, to where Eli is, and then once again says, here I am for you called me. I mean, that's incredible obedience. And it says a lot about Samuel's obedience that he does that not just once, but he does it three times throughout the night. Just hears the call, jumps up, here I am, what do you need? And runs over to Eli to see what he needs. I think there's something so helpful for children here about being obedient to our parents and the posture of heart that that conveys. Because as children, as you learn to hear your parents' voice and respond obediently to it, you are in the first place honoring the Lord by honoring them. But in the second place, you're also preparing yourself to be the type of person who can hear and respond to the voice of the Lord. You've already developed that heart posture from the God-given authority in your life, your parents, to where you hear and you say, yes, mom, yes, dad, and you obey. And that is, it's preparing your heart to be obedient when God's voice is being spoken to you. Now, when Samuel runs to Eli, Eli says, hey, I didn't call you. Go lay down again. And this happens two more times before Eli realizes that something is going on, namely that it is actually the Lord who's trying to call out to young Samuel. And verse 7 tells us why Samuel was not putting these pieces to the puzzle together himself. It says this, Now Samuel did not yet know the Lord, 
and the word of the Lord had not yet been revealed to him. Now, if you've been with us in our studies in Samuel, you might recognize that expression there. Samuel did not know the Lord. It's almost the same expression that was used of Eli's two sons back in chapter 2, verse 12, Hophni and Phinehas. And there in chapter 2, verse 12, we understood the expression to mean that those two boys did not have a personal relationship with the Lord, which is likely how we should understand the phrase as it now speaks of Samuel. It's saying Samuel does not yet have an intimate personal relationship with the Lord. But the key difference between Samuel and Hophni and Phinehas is in the why they did not know the Lord. For Hophni and Phinehas, the reason was because they were worthless men They were living in direct disobedience to God's word and they were treating the sacrifices of God with contempt. But for Samuel, notice there is one difference in the expression. It says that he did not yet know the Lord. Meaning that for this young boy, Samuel, it was inevitable. Meaning that for this young boy, Samuel, he was well on his way to having an intimate, personal relationship with the Lord. He had been honoring the Lord with what he did know, but he hadn't yet experienced this intimate relationship with God. And I think that this is a really, really helpful passage in the Bible because I think it gives us a little bit of a glimpse into the inner dynamics of how children who are raised in a Christian family or a Christian household ultimately come to faith. Oftentimes, if you talk to Christians who were raised in a Christian household, their testimony might be like, you know what, I can't actually tell you exactly when I came to faith. I kind of always believed. I kind of always trusted the Lord. I was kind of always walking with the Lord from one, per- from one perspective. But certainly, yeah, there was a point where I really grasped the gospel. I really understood it. I really felt like I was being led by the Spirit, but it's kind of hard for them to put their finger on it. But we see here in Samuel's story, sort of how it works. First, it's trusting in mom and dad and honoring them as God's good authorities in your life. Then it's honoring the Lord with what you do know. There's a lot that young children can understand about the will of God. As a very young child, you can understand what it means to not lie. You can understand what it means to listen to your parents. You can understand what it means to not steal. There's so much of the law of God that you can comprehend from a very early age. And so you, with the measure of faith that you have at that point, you're just saying, I want to just honor my parents. I want to honor God and do what God's asking me to do. Until finally, at some point in your life, you experience the call of God and you know the Lord in an intimate and personal way. And this is where Samuel's at in his story. The text still calls him a boy. He's young perhaps around 12 years of age at this point, maybe a little bit older. He's still young and he has this encounter with the Lord that will forever change him. He will forever from this point forward have an intimate relationship with God. From this day forward, let me say it this way, they will be on speaking terms. He will hear the word of the Lord and do it. And so after the third time that Samuel hears this voice calling him and runs to Eli, Eli finally catches on to what's happening. And we see this in verse 8. The Lord called Samuel again the third time, and he arose and went to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. 
Then Eli perceived that the Lord was calling the boy. Therefore, Eli said to Samuel, go lie down. And if he calls you, you shall say, speak, Lord, for your servant hears. So Samuel went and lay down in his place. Like his eyesight, which has grown dim, Eli might be spiritually dim, but he's not in total darkness. We see a little flicker here. Eventually, he does perceive what God is up to in this evening. And he he tells Samuel, oh, okay, I think I've got it. It's the Lord who's trying to call you. So listen, the next time you hear that voice, don't come running to me. Just say, speak, Lord, for your servant listens. And so Samuel is going to do that. He's going to follow the advice, the instruction of Eli. And I feel like we do need to give Eli some credit because we've been very harsh on Eli. The scriptures have been really hard on Eli at this point, and they're actually going to be hard on him again in a few minutes, but we should give him some credit. Again, he perceives what God's doing here. And maybe even more miraculous than that, he doesn't freak out when this preteen comes and interrupts his sleep, not once, not twice, but three times in the night. Right? He's actually kind of gentle with him. He calls him his son. And I don't know about you, but when I get woken up in the middle of the night, I'm not the most pleasant person. And I might respond to one of my kids kind of nice the first time. What happened? What's going on? But if one of my kids ran to me three consecutive times and woke me up in the middle of the night, I don't know that I would be very pleasant. I'd probably be a little bit grumpy. But Eli's not that way. He's, he's positive and he's affectionate toward Samuel as Samuel's coming. And he actually helps Samuel to process what is going on in the night. Now in verses 10 through 14, we see the fourth and final call of God to Samuel. And we see Samuel's reaction to it. The story goes on. It says, the Lord came and stood calling us at other times. Samuel, Samuel, and Samuel said, speak for your servant hears. Then the Lord said to Samuel, behold, I am about to do a thing in Israel at which the two two ears of everyone who hears it will tingle. On that day, I will fulfill against Eli all that I have spoken concerning his house from beginning to end. And I declare to him that I am about to punish his house forever for the iniquity that he knew because his sons were blaspheming God and he did not restrain them. Therefore, I swear to the house of Eli that the iniquity of Eli's house shall not be atoned for by sacrifice or offering forever. Some heavy words. Now, one unique feature now in the story is that the Lord now not only calls out to Samuel like he did at other times, but notice in verse 10 that the Lord actually came and stood next to Samuel. What scholars call that is a theophany, meaning it's, a, it's a, an actual experiential manifestation of the presence of God. And so God now comes near to this young boy, Samuel, who's sleeping presumably right outside of the Holy of Holies, and God stands next to him, and then he calls his name. And Samuel, following the instructions of Eli, responds to the Lord. Here I am, Lord. Speak, your servant is listening, and God speaks to Samuel. But you don't have to be a Hebrew scholar to figure this out. The message that God gives him is not a good one. This is not a happy message. This is not good news that he gets to go and announce over Israel or announce to his adopted father, Eli. 
This is bad news. This is a hard message to deliver. God says that he is going to fulfill against Eli all that he has spoken concerning his house from beginning to end. And this is a reference to the prophecy that Eli received last week from a prophet that God sent to him. And it's a prophecy of judgment on his house. I'll just summarize the judgment that's coming from the last chapter. There's four parts to it. God would remove Eli's family from the priesthood. There would never be another old man in their family. So all the men in their family would die young. Number three, only one priest in Eli's line would not be killed while in the ministry. And finally, Eli's sons, Hophni and Phinehas, were both going to die on the exact same day. Now here again, we see the reason that Eli is held responsible for the wickedness of his sons. Look at verse 13. It says, for the, the iniquity that he knew because his sons were blaspheming God and he did not restrain them. I said this last week, that God expected Eli to do more than confront his sons. He expected Eli to stop his sons. Eli was the spiritual authority in the temple precincts at Shiloh. He was responsible before God to make sure that the sacrifices that were being presented in that temple were being done in obedience to the word, to the, to the word of God. And Eli failed at that. He would rather stay in good terms with his boys and create a rift with God than create a rift with his boys and stay in good terms with God. And God says, this is the reason why Eli is being judged. Of course, verse 14 is particularly terrifying. Essentially, God announces through Samuel that there is no atonement or forgiveness available for Eli's household through sacrifices or offerings. Now, that doesn't mean that there's nobody in Eli's family who could ever be saved. It's a direct reference in the first place to Hophni and Phinehas, who are past the point of no return and who are going to die in the next chapter. But beyond that, what he's saying is there's no sacrifice that can now be offered that will bring your household and your family line back into the priesthood. You guys are fired, you're done. I'm raising up a new priest. Tim Chester in his helpful commentary on this book writes this and we'll put it on the screen. Eli has shown contempt toward the sacrificial offerings, but there is no other means of atonement. To reject God's sacrifice is to reject any hope of your guilt being atoned for. The sacrifices of the Old Testament point to the sacrifice of Jesus at the cross. So in the same way, to treat the cross with contempt is to reject any hope of your guilt being atoned for. It is not, and I love this part, he says, it is not that there are sins which are beyond the scope of the cross. There are no sins which are too big for the grace of God in the blood of Christ to cover. The point is this. If you despise the cross of Christ, then you reject the only means of salvation. If you kick Christ's sacrifice, you have nowhere left to turn. End quote. That's heavy. But it really does get to the core of the answer to the question, why is Jesus the only way? Why can't, why can't I just get to God on other terms? If you kick the sacrifice of Christ, you have nowhere else to turn. This is the place in Christ. He is the person and the place where God has decisively dealt with human sin. And he opens up 
the love of God through the sacrifice of Christ to every single person. And he says, do you want forgiveness? Do you want to know me? Do you want relationship? Do you want my love? You can have it. Come this way. And if you say no to that, what other hope do you have? Where can you go? To whom can you turn? The answer is you have nowhere left to turn. We'll move now into the third section, verses 15 through 18. The word of the Lord comes through Samuel. So first it came to him, now it comes through him. Look at verse 15. Samuel lay until morning. Then he opened the doors of the house of the Lord. And Samuel was afraid to tell the vision to Eli. Duh, right? Like who would want to do that? But Eli called Samuel and said, Samuel, my son. And he said, here I am. And Eli said, what was it that he told you? Do not hide it from me. May God do so to you and more also if you hide anything from me of all that he told you. So Samuel told him everything and hid nothing from him. And he said, it is the Lord. Let him do what seems good to him. So the young, again, maybe 12 years old, give or take a couple years, the young Samuel gets this horrible news about his mentor, Eli, directly from the Lord. I doubt he slept a wink after that that night, just tossing and turning, laying there, waiting for the sun to come up. In fact, the text may even support this. It says, Samuel, lay until morning. He's probably laying there, tossing and turning. And so as soon as the sun is up, what does he do? He goes off to work. He goes and he opens the doors of the house of the Lord, part of his job. So he gets up, he just starts doing his job. Maybe Eli will forget. Maybe he'll think it was a dream and I don't have to talk to him about this. I mean, Samuel is understandably trying to avoid Eli because this is an awkward situation to be in. He's afraid to tell him what God has just told him. I mean, this is sort of like you having to tell your supervisor that they just got fired, right? Like imagine the CEO of the company calls you into their office for a meeting. Okay, I'll be there at three. Okay, so the CEO calls you in for the meeting. Your supervisor's probably like, that's weird. Why didn't I get invited to that meeting? And you go sit down and the CEO's like, hey, I just want to let you know we're firing your boss. We're done with him. So there's gonna be a big shakeup. We're gonna change things around and just want to let you know that. I mean, you walk back out of the office feeling kind of awkward, right? Supervisor's like, so how'd that go in there? And what do you say? You're kind of like, it went pretty good, I guess. Right, like what do you say in that situation? It's an awkward place to be in. And here's Samuel, this young man, okay, who, who has received this horrible news about Eli, who is this older man and who is his elder and he's got to deliver this bad news. So, so Samuel's trying to avoid him. And Eli senses that. And so finally he's just like, Samuel, come here. What did he say to you? And, and I need to hear all of it. Don't hold anything back. What did he say to you? And he actually says, look, if you don't tell me every last detail, then, then I'm going to pronounce this judgment of God on you. And Samuel's like, if you're going to put it that way, right? This is what he said, Eli. And he, he tells him every single thing. He didn't withhold any of it. He tells him the bad news. And Eli's response to that bad news seems to confirm that Eli knew that the judgment of God that was falling on him was just. He knew that. I mean, how could he not? He, he knew that he was tolerating so much wickedness in the temple over this long period of time. So he knew 
that God's judgment was just and it was deserving. He doesn't complain. He doesn't try to resist God in this. Now we need to think about, again, what a difficult task this was for young Samuel. I mean, it's hard for children to ever confront an adult in the first place. But again, the dynamic here is almost like this is like an adopted grandfather to him. This is the man you live with, the man who oversees you, and he's the, he's the ultimate priest in Israel at this time. And Samuel, as this young boy, receives this word of God, and he has the obligation and the responsibility before God now to go deliver that hard news. And to Samuel's eternal credit, he does it. He doesn't withhold anything. He just speaks the truth. And this is so critical for the ministry that God is preparing young Samuel for. It's critical that Samuel learn from the beginning of his ministry that he is supposed to fear God and not fear man. Because as a prophet of the Lord, he's going to receive many hard messages from God that need to be spoken in challenging circumstances. I mean, for example, you get to 1 Samuel chapter 13 and the first king of Israel who's not the most stable man. I mean, he's chasing David all over the place, right? Trying to kill him. Not the most stable man. Samuel gets a word from the Lord that he needs to tell King Saul that his demise is coming, that God is removing him from the king kingship and that he's raising up a young man after his own heart to replace him. That's a hard word to share. But Samuel being prepared here in Shiloh as a young man and faithfully doing what God called him to do, having that incredibly hard conversation there, paves the way for him to fulfill the ultimate calling that God has on him, which is to anoint the true king in Israel, which will be David in the future. This is incredible. Great obedience is demonstrated on the part of Samuel. Well, because Samuel passed the test, and faithfully discharged the office as prophet before Eli, what does God do? God takes this young man and in closing, he establishes him as the prophet in all of Israel. This is the fourth and final section. And now the word of the Lord is renowned in Israel. Look at verse 19. And Samuel grew and the Lord was with him and let none of his words fall to the ground. And all Israel from Dan to Beersheba, meaning from north to south, knew that Samuel was established as a prophet of the Lord. And the Lord appeared again at Shiloh, for the Lord revealed himself to Samuel at Shiloh by the word of the Lord. So now we see that this man Samuel, this young man Samuel, is growing, the Lord is with him, and the Lord establishes him as a prophet. Not a single one of his words, his prophetic words that he would receive from the Lord ever fell to the ground. When Samuel would speak and say, thus saith the Lord, God would accomplish it exactly the way he said. And so through that confirmation of his ministry over and over again, all of Israel goes, there's a prophet in Israel now. There is a true spokesperson for God who is operating in our midst. And they took everything Samuel said, literally, as the word of the Lord. That's why in chapter four, verse one, what is being said there when it says that all of Israel, or that the word of Samuel rather came to all of Israel. What the author is saying is that it was God's word that Samuel would speak that came to all of Israel. It's incredible. 
So the Lord is now once again working in and through the priesthood at Shiloh. We see it with that expression, and the Lord appeared again at Shiloh. Remember, things were not going well at Shiloh. The word of God was rare because of what was going on under the priesthood of Eli. But now with the rising of Samuel and him being established as the priest here at Shiloh, what we see is the Lord appearing again at Shiloh. He is active through Samuel. And we see a very important statement at the end of verse 21. It says, For the Lord revealed himself to Samuel at Shiloh by the word of the Lord. This is a profound statement. The Lord revealed himself by what? By the word, by the word of the Lord. In this case, through prophetic revelation. But this is how God reveals himself to people in order to bring them into a personal, saving, intimate relationship with himself. It is by his word. Okay, God reveals himself to people in different ways. Creation, we read about in scriptures, reveals knowledge about God to us. You could read Romans 1 or Psalm 19. So general revelation teaches us some things about God. But the way that God reveals himself to us personally and intimately so that we can have relationship with him is through his word. Sometimes people will read a story like this in the Old Testament and they'll go, man, Why doesn't God speak to me like he spoke to Samuel? Why didn't God reveal himself to me the way he revealed himself to Samuel? And the answer to that question is this. God has done one better. What do I mean by that? I mean this, that what used to be quite exclusive, God has now made mainstream. When you read in the Old Testament, The amount of times that God would visit a prophet like this and reveal things to them, it's like one in 10 million. You know, I mean, it's so rare. This was a very exclusive experience. This was not common to your average Jew in the Old Testament. This was rare and exclusive. But now what God has done is he has taken what used to be exclusive and he has made it mainstream. Whereas God used to speak to a few select individuals at occasional points in history, God has now revealed himself to the whole world in Christ. Here's Hebrews chapter one. Long ago at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom he also created the world. Family, listen to me. Just as God came near to young Samuel and stood by him, and revealed himself to him through his word. God has come near to all of us by becoming a man in the person of Jesus Christ and revealing God to us so that the whole world might know. And now through the word of Christ, recorded in Holy Scripture, God is still calling people to himself with his powerful, effectual voice. Romans 10, 17 puts it this way. So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. Jesus could promise us this in John 10, 27. My sheep hear my voice and I know them for they follow me. So in conclusion, family, today we've considered how God revealed himself 
to a young man named Samuel and called him to be a prophet. And the way that he did that was by his word. And so I ask you in closing, have you heard God's call? And have you responded to God's call? Hear his voice once again. In John chapter 7, we read this. On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. And again, in Matthew eleven twenty-eight, 28, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And yet once again, Revelation 22, I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you about these things for the churches. I am the root and the descendant of David, the bright and morning star. The spirit and the bride say, come. And let the one who hears say, come. And let the one who is thirsty, come. Let the one who desires to take the water of life without price. Would you please pray with me?